This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. Well, welcome. Um, We are right in the middle of a series that we started last week uh, called Friending, and uh, we're we're in, in the process of... Uh, really investigating the plan of God to give up to God what God would want us to give up to Him, to give into God's plan uh, for relationships and to give out so that we could see a community and a world changed uh, by the power of the gospel. And so we're spending four weeks really trying to look at the heart of friendship because who your friends are, there, there may be no greater decision that we'll make when it comes to life other than deciding uh, who we're going to follow, following Jesus or not, then who are our closest friends going to be? Uh, we see that in the life of Jesus as he begins his earthly ministry, that he surrounds himself with friends, with people that he intentionally chooses, people that he asks to follow him, and he generates uh, proximity and intimacy with them. And we went through last week just some basic uh, foundations of friendship. And let's just go back and revisit a few things from last week. Last week I told you probably the main idea and the main theme for this series is this, that if you would show me your friends, I will show you your future. Last week I had you write down five of your closest friends. And basically sociologists say if we can take the average of your five closest friends, we are going to find you. In that average. And the real question is, is that when we look at that, is that the kind of person that we want to be? Is that the kind of marriage that we want? Is that the kind of way that we want to deal with our finances? Or do we want to be in debt like our friends? Do we want to be generous like our friends? How, what does their life look like? And typically, the five closest friends create an average for us. We looked at this as a basis. King Solomon said this in Proverbs 13, 20, that if you walk with the wise, you become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. If you walk with the wise, if you walk with those who have good marriages, if you walk with those who are good stewards, if you walk with those who are wise, you will become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. And there may be, um, uh, coming out of last week, maybe the most feedback that I've gotten from a message in a long time. Maybe going back to the time I left my zipper undone the entire message. Going back to that message, maybe the most feedback that I've got out of any message from last week. Um, Here's what I heard from some of you guys. Some of you said, hey, I realize now when people call me, I don't answer the phone. I just don't want to talk. And I let every call go to voicemail and then I'll text people so that I'm in control of that conversation. Had one, one guy call me and say, hey, you know, I've got 700 Facebook friends, but I couldn't think of two close friends. Some of you said, hey, you know, I realize that the time that I've been devoting to social media has been robbing my face-to-face time. 
It has been really creating a negative dynamic. I've been spending way too much time on Facebook and not enough time face to face. And so some of you actually went in this past week and shut your whole Facebook account down so that you can dedicate time to spending with your friends. And it's of epic importance, epic importance that we continue to work to take the next step towards God's plan for friendships. You know, sociologists tell us that there are three types of poverty that are in the world. And we, we're pretty familiar with most of those. Material poverty, I mean, obviously, those folks that don't have enough money, they don't have enough food, they don't have enough safe shelter. Those, those folks are definitely in poverty. That's material poverty. But there's also spiritual poverty. And spiritual poverty is when someone is living in the absence of a vibrant relationship with Jesus where there is a, a void of that life-giving relationship with our Creator. But there's also relational poverty. Relational poverty, that position and posture in life where all of the things that relationships provide for us, good and healthy friendships should provide. We're living without those. And I think that in our culture, because of some of the reasons that we looked at last week and um, because of just the direction of our, our culture at this point. We, we're living in an age where while we don't have a lot of friends that live next door to us that are living in literal material poverty, we are living in a world that is ravaged with relational poverty. I mean, think about it. Last week, and I said, list out five friends. And most of us in the room could barely scratch out two. Barely. Two friends. Something is wrong with that picture. Something's wrong. Something's missing. As a matter of fact, someone is missing, and it's a friend. It's a friend. And I would tell you the main idea of the message today, the main idea of the message today is this, that you might be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. You might be one friend today, one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. Let me just kind of take a break and tell you where we're going with this series. Next week, the message is entitled, One Community Away. I think it may be the most important message in the whole series. Because we have walked away from God's design to live in community, in a vast network of relationships with people that love us and care for us, people that want to shelter and steward us, people who want to be the right kind of friend, that we need, desperately need community. And we're going to look at that next week in one community away. And the next last message in the series is called defriending because it is impossible. 
Y'all get this. It is impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. Y'all with me? Impossible to live the right life with the wrong friends. And so we're going to go through what healthy boundaries look like and how to process good, love everyone, but put up the right kind of boundaries to protect ourselves. But today we are dealing with friends because you very well might be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. Really in the back of your mind, think about it. What has God put on your heart? Where has God pushed you? Where has he pointed you to? What kind of dreams and desires do you have? What do you think if I could do anything If I could be anyone, if I could accomplish anything, this is what I want to do. What is that for you? You see, for the Apostle Paul, it was to preach. Now, for most of us, we think, yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty simple, right? Go preach somewhere then. I mean, I've seen dudes standing on the street corner. They wanted to preach and they were yelling at me, right? But when you're the guy who weeks before was murdering Christians, when you're the guy who was the chief person responsible for executing people based on a confessed belief in Jesus, and you want to go to church and preach, probably not going to happen. I'm just going to say, that dude shows up and goes, hey, Kevin, I'd like to preach at your church. No, sorry. Please, and don't bring any guns and visit at all. We're not, we're not. And, and that's exactly where we find the Apostle Paul in Acts 9. He has encountered God in a radical way as he was traveling literally to carry out an execution in Damascus. He encounters God in this phenomenal bright way and God changes him and he spent some time being tutored and discipled and grows in his understanding of Jesus and he returns to Jerusalem with the desire to preach to do what he has been doing he's been sharing in the churches in the area where he's been and he wants to return to Jerusalem but in Jerusalem they know him as Saul, the guy who is killing Christians. And that's not a guy we're going to let come into our church. Read with me in Acts 9, beginning in verse 26. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. He's gone undercover. He doesn't really believe in Jesus. He's just trying to get in here to see who's really here. He's going to do something. This isn't legit. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And now in Damascus, he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. You see, Paul's destiny was to become a preacher. 
God changed his name from Saul to Paul, gave him a message of reconciliation that wasn't just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. He wrote literally half in volume the New Testament, influenced the direction of the Christian church, and his destiny was to be maybe singularly the most important Christian in the first century. But he was locked out of the church until a friend named Barnabas came beside him. And Barnabas had a relationship. He was a believer. And Barnabas had seen Paul minister and Barnabas came and took his credibility and put it on the line and brought Saul, now Paul, before the apostles and said he, he ministered the name of the Lord fearlessly. And from that moment on, he was given the privilege to travel throughout all the churches. You see, Paul was one friend away from the course of his destiny completely changing. One friend away. And for a great period of the life of the Apostle Paul as he traveled and started churches and traveled and preached, this guy Barnabas went with him. One friend away. And that's where we are today. Many of us are one friend away. As a matter of fact, we're going to step back and look into the life of King David. And I'm going to show you three kinds of friends that we need. Now, it doesn't take too long to do the math. Most of us last week could only list two friends. If there's three kinds of friends that we need, that means something's missing in life. The first kind of friend that I want to point to is Samuel. Samuel shows up early on as we begin to get a picture of King David. And Samuel is the kind of friend who makes you better. He makes you better. And we all need a friend like Samuel that makes us better. Let's look at what's happening in 1 Samuel 16. You see, God has sent Samuel to the house of Jesse. To find the next king of, of Israel, Saul, not the one that we were talking about a moment ago, is now king. God has established him, but he has walked away from the ways of the Lord. And God is going to establish a new king. And he sends Samuel to the house of Jesse. And he goes in, and Jesse's not like maybe my family or your family. Jesse has a lot of kids, all right? I mean like house full of youngins. And they bring out the oldest one. He's the good-looking one. He's the strong one. He's the tall one. He's the good football player. Right? He's the one with the good grades. And Samuel, in the back of his mind, is thinking, this has got to be the one. And God says, no. I don't look at his outward appearance. I'm not looking at what he looks like. I'm looking towards the heart. And this is interesting because one by one, they go through all of his sons, and God says, no, 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 no. And Samuel's confused. You sent me to the house of Jesse. Do you have any other sons? Now, if 
the prophet of God showed up at your house saying, hey, I wanna, I'm here to anoint one of your sons. Would you have all your sons in the house? I would. But they didn't. He said, oh, yeah, there's one other. <laughs> but he's, he's outside taking care of the sheep. You see, most people don't even believe that uh, David was a legitimate, maybe, maybe a half-brother of the other brothers, maybe an a illegitimate son of Jesse because he's not included in that first crop to be evaluated. And they go out and they bring David in, still smelling like sheep, right? Short, ruddy. And this is what the Bible records in 1 Samuel 16, 12. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. You see, nobody in David's family thought that he could be a king. Nobody in David's family thought that he could be. Nobody. When, when Samuel showed up saying, I'm here to anoint the next king, David, you go take care of the sheep. Everybody else, come in. But Samuel saw something in David that nobody else could see. By the power of God, he could see this is the next king. And he anointed him. And the Spirit of the Lord came on him powerfully. We need friends like Samuel. We need friends that make us better. Proverbs 27, 17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. When I was in college and wrestling with the idea that God might actually call me into the ministry, one day when I was praying, I went and I got my Bible, and this is just how it works sometimes. I felt like the Lord asked me to open up to a specific chapter in the book of Isaiah. And it was a familiar chapter. It's Isaiah 58 where the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord is on you to preach the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted. You see, that scripture is about Jesus. Jesus actually opens up a scroll one day and reads that and says, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. But a friend of mine named Paul at uh, some point stole my Bible, <laughs> took that scripture and wrote right next to it, Kevin, this is you. And, um, you know, it's just one of those moments where you look back and you go, this is, that was powerful. And I asked him, why didn't you just tell me? Why don't you just tell me? He said, you know, it's a lot easier just to affirm what God is doing rather than to try to make someone see it. So I knew one day you'd open there, and I just wanted you to know that I saw that. And that, was, that was powerful to me. It was powerful to know that somebody saw that in me. When we first entertained the idea of planting this church uh, I had a, a group of businessmen that, that I met with from our church in South Carolina. Uh, these guys were brilliant and uh, very successful. 
one of my friends, Tom, he's a dentist, went out to lunch with Tom. Tom had sat through a discipleship class that I taught. And I really didn't do anything amazing. I promise you, it was just really just like basic, fundamental stuff. And man, from that point on, he was just like, he was such an encourager because that class meant so much to him in his walk. And I sat down with him and I said, hey, I'm just going to drop this idea on you. You know, I feel like God's called us to plant a church. It's going to be in North Carolina where, you know, Amanda and I are from. And he got the biggest grin. And he said, you know, wow, I can see you doing that. I can see that. I can see that. I can see it being awesome. I can see you being amazing. And he believed in me. And he gave life to a vision that at that time was very frail. We need friends that see things in us that nobody else sees. We need Samuels, but we also need Jonathans. We need Jonathans. We need a friend that helps us to find spiritual strength. You know, David is anointed. This is one of those odd moments in Scripture. I mean, David's anointed. God says, you're going to be the king, but there's already a king. You know, there's often a tension between the time God tells us that he's going to do something and when he actually does. That's not always really comfortable, and it wasn't for David. Because God anointed him to be king, and there was already a king, and that king kind of found out about it because David showed up one day and killed a giant that was insulting God and the army of God. And he became a war hero because after that, he was fearless in battle. And the women began to sing, Saul has killed us thousands, but David has killed us ten thousands. Which sounds like a really horrible song to me. I don't know. I don't know if anybody, I don't want people to sing that song about me. That doesn't sound awesome, but Saul was jealous about this song and decided that he was going to take care of this matter himself. He was going to kill David. In the meantime of all of this, David and Saul's son, the king's son, Jonathan, had become friends because Jonathan recognized what God was doing. He saw that his father had walked away from God and saw that God was going to raise David up. And so in this time when David is running for his life, we find in 1 Samuel 23, Jonathan going to David while David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph. He learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. We're going to go through difficult times. We're going to go through seasons that aren't easy. We're going to go through some times that are going to be just like that. I mean, I will tell you that that first Six months after we pulled the string on the fact that we were going to plant this church, it was awesome. Everyone was telling me how awesome it was going to be. That next year, (laughs) that was rough. I mean, that was rough. Anything you could think about that could go wrong went wrong. And that's kind of where we find David, and that's where maybe 
Many of you are, but we need a friend like Jonathan. The Bible says that as Jonathan came to him, he helped him to find strength in God. And we need friends like Jonathan that will help us find spiritual strength. My best friend Josh released an album two weeks ago. Go get it on iTunes. It was like number three on the Christian chart for like five days. We thought that was the coolest thing ever. All right? Because he's still Josh, and he still have a lot of fun talking. Um, when I was in college, Josh and I were roommates, and I got a call from my mom one day. It's a call you don't want to get. My mom said, Kevin, I have breast cancer. It's a really aggressive form of cancer. They're going to do an operation in a few days, and I'm going to go through some treatment. When Josh found out about it, it was, it was so, it's just so silly because he did instinctively what a best friend should do. He didn't go to class for three days, <laughs> which was really easy for him. He didn't like going to class anyway. And he just followed me around everywhere I went. Go eat together. Yeah, let's go eat. Let's go play ball, you know? And he just stuck by me. Because his presence in that moment mattered. It gave me strength. You know, when I, I graduated from college, I went through this season, and it's not uncommon for college graduates and people that are transitioning into real life, right? Um, I went through this season not being real happy. And as a matter of fact, I, I probably, if you look back, I was probably clinically depressed for about two years. And I'd worry about anything, everything you could think about. Be stressed about anything and everything. Amanda and I had not been dating long, but at one point she came to me and she said, I just, I feel like God just wants me to tell you something. It was so simple. She said, you can trust Jesus. And I'll tell you what, that's, that's so simple but so profound all at the same time. And that truth that I can trust him, as I really accepted it and prayed through it, man, that changed my life. It changed everything. So now, I mean, I can honestly say that that, that season is well over and behind me. That anything that looks like that is, it's, I can walk into a difficult situation going, Man, it's going to be all right. God's in control. We can trust him. Because I had a friend who was willing to come and to say something to me. You know, even those that are closest to God, David is one of those that the Spirit of the Lord is resting on, get tempted and tried. Even, even those who are mightily being used by God, and we need friends that will come to us in the middle of discouragement and temptation and bring strength. And we also need friends like Nathan. You see, David was not the smooth sailing, get everything right guy. I love that about David. Because continually after he makes a mistake, he goes back to God and repents and gets right. But David slips up and one night sees a woman that is 
bathing in the river and one thing leads to the next and he ends up having an affair with her. They end up having a child out of that. He ends up having the husband of that family executed. And he is deep in sin. And the prophet Nathan shows up in 2 Samuel 12. And comes into David's court and says, David, I'd like to tell you a story. There was a rich man in the town that I was visiting. He had a, a ton of cattle, a ton of sheep. Anything that you could want, this rich man had, but there was a, a poor man in the same town. And he had one lamb. And a traveler came to stay with this rich man. And he went to the poor man's house and killed that lamb to feed the traveler. David, as he hears that story, gets angry and says, who is this man? Let's find him. Let's kill him. And Nathan points his finger at him. And in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan said to David, you are that man. You see, we need a friend like Nathan who tells the truth. We need a friend like Nathan that will tell us the truth even when it's not comfortable. We need a friend that's looking at us when we have that brilliant idea of making our own hang glider from scratch. And we're standing on the edge of the barn, three stories up, getting ready. To, we need a friend that will say, that thing ain't going to work. Get down. You're going to end up in a, We need a friend like that. We need friends that have the courage to tell the truth. You see, the thing is, guys, listen to me. Those of you that are in leadership roles... Those of you who are leading in your companies or in the organizations that you work in, the higher you get, the more difficult it is to find someone that will tell you the truth. And you need friends that will tell you the truth. You see, that same group of guys that I met with in Columbia when we decided to move up here, I met with every one of them. I sat down and told them about it and asked them three questions. I was like, one, what do you think of it? What do you think of this idea? That Do you think it can work? The second question I asked is, what do you think I need to do to prepare to do this? And the last question I asked them was, based on what you know about me, can you tell me something that I don't do very well now, but I need to do well? by the time we start that. My friend Ed, who's a vice president or, or regional president of a very big bank in, in, um, in Columbia, said, said, you know what? He's like, I ain't never really talked to you about this. <laughs> but since you don't let me, here we go. Um, he said, you know, Kevin, my wife has commented several times that when you come up to me and talk to me, you don't speak to her at all. 
that you'll hug me. Here I am, like not very huggable. You'll hug me, you'll talk to me, and then you'll walk away. And I spent a long time in youth ministry, and in youth ministry, you, you kind of go, all right, I have female leaders, you guys go take care of the girls. I'm just going to get my guys together, and I'm going to take care of the guys. And so I realized that that, that didn't work anymore. <laughs> that doesn't work. And he pointed something out that I needed to work on. I mean, the truth is, is that those moments when you have a friend who is willing to share the truth with you, those moments are some of the most meaningful and important moments we get in life. Because think about that conversation. How many times does that even go well? It doesn't. It doesn't. Someone sits down and goes, I I really love you and I need to tell you this. What's going to happen? We're going to deflect. No, that's not me. No. No, we're going to get mad. No, you are wrong. That is not me. We're going to get angry and deflect and try to defend and walk away from the truth that they're laying on the table. It is the most loving thing someone can do for you is to have a difficult conversation and share the truth that can change the course of your destiny. We need friends like that. And the truth is is that when we think about our friends right now, most of you are going, I don't have one of those kinds of friends. And if you don't have one of them, if you don't have that friend in your life, you're missing out on God's plan of friendship. You're missing an important component of what God wants to do because you're probably living in relational poverty. You're probably living in relational poverty. So look at your current friends right now. Where are your current friends? Are they addicted? Are they divorced? Are they broke and bankrupt? Where are your current friends? When you fill out that list, my top friends, because the truth is is that you are probably one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. You're one friend away from someone sharing an important truth with you that you need to know. You are one friend away from someone showing up and helping you find strength in a difficult moment. You are one friend away from finding someone that sees something in you that nobody else can see. You are one friend away. Let's pray. God, today, many of us are in this room living relationally in poverty, living in impoverished, starved of the kind of friendships that you have designed to give us. And we believe that we are one friend.
friend away. For many of us in the room today, God, that friend isn't the person that's sitting next to us. It's not necessarily the coworker that we've targeted that we want to get to know. But God, really the friend that we need is you. With every head bowed and no one looking around. In the Gospel of John, Jesus looked at his followers and said, I no longer call you servants. You're not just people that are doing what I'm asking you to do. You're not just people that are running errands. I call you friends. The greatest friendship in life that has ever been offered to you is a friendship devoted to Jesus. He will be a better friend to you than you've ever experienced. He will be the one that comes when everyone else has failed. He will be the one to forgive when nobody else seems like they're willing to forgive. He will be the one who loves when you feel completely unlovable. And some of you are one friend away from changing the course of your eternal destiny. So if that's you today and you know I I am not living in that friendship with God. I'm not living and experiencing the friendship that Jesus wants to give us. But I want that. I want a friendship with Jesus. I want to experience the life-giving relationship that God wants with me. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Anybody else? Anybody else that would say, today, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus. pray together. God, for those of us that are here, we've admitted that we want to have a relationship with you. God, we want to have a friendship with you. We want to begin to do the right things with you. Today, help us to take the next step by just accepting your offer of friendship. Because we're one friend away. And that friend all too often is you. So in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.